0: When I was growing up several of you know that uh, I was in Boy Scouts and I we did all kinds of different activities. We went camping, we went hiking, uh, we earned merit badges, we did all sorts of things as Boy Scouts and there are lots of different types of boys that do Boy Scouts. Uh, and so I got to be around a bunch of different guys and, and things and see the things that they were interested in, the, the things that they wanted to do, the merit badges that they pursued, and the things that really made them who they are. And then there was uh, this one kid, though, that, that stuck out to me. His name was Matt. And um, Matt lived and breathed Marines. I mean, you you, you just you, you saw Matt and, and you went... That kid loves the Marines. There were Marine stickers on everything. All of the gear that he could get his hands on was Marines. If he was wearing uh, camouflage to go out uh, for night games or something, they had to be Marine fatigues. Nothing else would do. Everything lived, breathed Marines. By seventh grade, he knew all of the recruiters in the area, and all of the recruiters in the area knew him. At every event, everywhere where there might be a Marine stand, he was there and he was talking about the Marines. And you just knew when this kid was old enough, he was going to join the Marines. Now here's an interesting thing. Matt did not join the Marines. He talked about the Marines from the time I met him. He was about sixth grade when I met him. And from that point until I I stopped uh, being around him so much, around junior year of high school, he was still talking about the Marines but two things happened. The one is that you have to work very hard to be a Marine, and Matt wasn't sure he wanted to work quite that hard. And the second thing was that he met a girl in his senior year of high school, and he would have to leave that girl to go be a Marine, and he didn't want to do that. And so here was this guy who lived and breathed, his whole purpose, everything about him was Marines, and yet when it came right down to it and things got a little bit hard, it was like, yeah, no, not Marines. Not Marines after all. Well, this morning, that's kind of what we're talking about. Many of us grew up in the church or, or have become Christians, and we want for our life purpose to be to follow God. To love God steadfastly, devotedly, knowing that God has loved us like a father loves his kids. And so we want to remain devoted to him. But when you hit trials and temptations, will you in fact remain steadfast to him? That's the question for this morning. And so I want to read this to you from James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Note how it starts in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast under trial. That that when things get hard, they don't shift from their purposes. They don't change their mind. They didn't say, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to be faithful to God. I want to love God and, and, and follow him in all that I do. Except when it gets hard. They're not like that. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast when things get difficult. They don't change their mind, but they they remain committed to their purpose, even when it's hard. I'm reminded of the verses just just a little bit before that, where it says that if you lack wisdom, you should ask God and you should ask in faith without doubting because in verse 7 it says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. The, the person who asks apart from faith is, is, um, is unstable and double-minded. They, they say one thing, they had thought one thing, and then they changed their minds and thought something different and pursued different, something else instead. But blessed is the one who remains steadfast and says, you know what? Things got hard and I'm going to remain committed. I'm going to remain faithful and loyal. I love God and I want to pursue Him. I'm going to stay committed even when things get hard. The question is, why would we not be steadfast? We might have competing desires. So that when things get hard, we might go, yeah, you know, I, I really do love God and I want to follow him, but it's really uncomfortable and painful. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13. He, he's, uh, you may be familiar with the parable of the sowers where the sower goes out to scatter the seed and the different soils uh, receive the seed. And some of those soils are are good soil and they they receive the word of truth, the the good news about Jesus. They receive that and they they grow up plants that are strong. But one of the, the soils, it says, was on rocky ground. And this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. And while he endures for a little while, when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the same kind of thing that James is talking about, that, that somebody who um, believes God and, and holds on to that and, and wants it, but then um, as soon as anything hard comes along, they just give it up. Never mind. Never mind, it wasn't worth it. Never mind, I, I, I didn't want it that badly. You know, when you're a kid, and you you see something because they send out the catalogs, or you saw it on TV, and and so that that toy just looks like the most epic, amazing toy ever, and so you're going to save up your money for that. And after a month or two months, you're saving up your money, and you're going, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm going to have to save up for six months to get this toy. That's really hard when you're a kid. It takes a lot of patience. It's not easy. You have to remain committed to it. And as an adult, we would like to believe that, that um, becoming a Christian makes things easy that because we know that God is a heavenly Father who loves us, then that if we uh, become a Christian, then suddenly our lives will become easy. I mean, you've come to church. You've seen the people around, how happy they are, how smiling they are, how much they seem to have their lives put together, how they don't seem to be missing anything. Everything seems to be going right for them. How come that doesn't seem to be the case for me? Life seems to be hard to me. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. This is what we know, that that those who remain steadfast to the Lord, those who remain faithfully loving toward the Lord, will receive the crown of life because he loves them. God has promised them this. But we have to be careful. We have to be careful because because of the, the cycle toward temptation, which is spelled out in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God, God can't be tempted by evil. So here, here's the thing, is we run into these trials, we run into these uh, temptations, these difficulties, and we think God must be putting this in front of me to tempt me to sin. Like, like some kind of test. But, but God never tempts us to sin. He, he's never tempting us to sin. God himself is never tempted by sin. And therefore never tempts Anyone. Isn't that amazing? God is never tempted by sin. I'm tempted by sin all the time. How can God not ever be tempted by sin? God wants what is good all the time. Some of you grew up in a church where the person up front would say, God is good, and you would say, all the time all the time god is good that never changes he's always good he always always wants what is good not ever does he look at somebody and he go and go you know for the sake of my good i want their harm god always wants what is good that just that just doesn't happen for me And so for me to think about God never changing, never shifting away from that is really remarkable. I have to just stop and go, wait. So you mean while I'm tempted, God is never, ever tempted. He's never tempted to sin. And so then don't think then that God might be tempting you. God's not tempting you to sin here's what's happening instead in verse 14 each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires that that's what's happening you run into a situation and and your own desires your own sinful selfishness is what rises up in you and makes you want to sin that's what's going on and so you see that thing and you go oh i really like that thing and selfishly you want to take that thing you covet that thing you wish that thing was yours or and this this i find more often to be the case for me i run into some kind of difficulty and it tempts me to sin in the way that i respond to that difficulty and it doesn't even have to be all that difficult I can be driving in traffic and somebody cuts me off. What are you doing? I am tempted in that moment to sin, and righteously so, I might say. (laughs) I am indignant. This is my space. I am entitled to this space, and you just cut me off and slowed down. Don't you know we are in a hurry here? We are trying to get where we are trying to go now and you are in the way. Move! My my response is that, right? I am tempted in that moment. My response is very selfish. I am thinking about me and my convenience and my comfort and anything that has seemed to be a wrong or an affront to me. I'm thinking about my honor, my glory, And it could be something simple like somebody cutting me off in traffic or insulting me or rejecting me. And my response is anger or frustration. Very rarely do I find myself going, what would glorify God in this situation? So I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and I don't think, now what would glorify God in this situation? or they insult me, or injure me in some way, and my first response is not, now what would glorify God in this situation? I bet it would glorify God if I was to respond with grace and compassion. I bet it would glorify God if I were to turn the other cheek. I bet it would glorify God if I was to respond with patience and generosity and god is never ever tempted to sin how fantastic is that but what it means is when these when these things occur to us these circumstances happen there's nothing about that circumstance in of itself that is moral. The, the circumstance is neutral. Somebody cuts me off, that's neutral. I, I perceive it as a great injustice toward me, but it's it's just a neutral it's a thing that happened. Somebody cut me off. Somebody insulted me. Then what happens next is what's key. Because it says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. The, the problem is, verse 15, then that desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So that initial reaction in me to this neutral event... That initial reaction is, is this desire that, that if, it, if it conceives, it becomes pregnant and, and gives birth to sin. That imagery is stark, right? That, 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 it's just really clear because we see this all the time. Everything does this. A woman b- becomes pregnant, she gives birth, the child grows to maturity and to adulthood. We see this over and over again, and this is the same kind of idea that's happening here. In fact, we've seen the same kind of language earlier in James already. In James, uh, just a few verses above, in James uh, 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we're supposed to rejoice in these trials when they come so that it produces this faith, this conceives and and gives birth to steadfastness. And then that steadfastness continues on up until maturity. To a completeness, to, to a perfection, lacking in Nothing. You see, it's not that, that we at one time believed something, but that the thing that we believed is then continuing to grow and develop into a mature adulthood, into a mature faith, into a real true wisdom in light of who God is, in the knowledge of Him. But that's contrasted then with that same event, right? So James is saying, when you encounter these trials, you should rejoice because you know that because of your faith, that trial is producing a steadfastness in you. And this is what that's going to grow up into. That faith within you is going to give birth to steadfastness and it's going to grow up into this great joy. Alternatively, we run into that same trial And our desires tempt us. They tempt us. And we give birth to sin instead. And we know where that goes. Every single time that sin goes to death, not immediately probably, at least not most of the time, that sin doesn't lead to death immediately. But that's the track you're headed on. That's why we have to take this so seriously. Because when that when person cuts me off or when that person insults me and my first response is a self-righteous anger because of what's happening to me and my first response is my concern for my glory, for my honor, for my rights, where does that lead? Maybe I dwell on that too long. I fume and I rage. Maybe I retaliate and do something I shouldn't do. And where is this all leading? Toward all kinds of division and heartache and death. Or instead, to a beautiful life. He goes on to say in verse 16 Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. When when you're in these trials, these these difficulties, where you're tempted to sin, sometimes you might feel like, God has done this to me. You, You might be tempted to believe, God must not really love me. If God really loved me, this wouldn't be happening. We we think that when we become Christians, then God, because He's our loving Father, should just give us all the stuff. And if we don't have all the stuff, then He must not really love us. So because I'm enduring this difficulty, because I'm enduring this temptation or this trial, I, I, I must not be loved by God. This must be the evidence that God doesn't love me. This is the deception that's been going on from the beginning of time. When the serpent comes up to Eve and goes, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? Oh, no, no, no. We can eat from all the trees. Just this one we can't eat from. Because if we eat from that one, we're going to die. Oh, you won't die. God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. he's withholding it from you don't be deceived don't be deceived God loves you you are his beloved child which is why James is so clear don't be deceived my beloved brothers my beloved brothers and sisters do not be deceived God loves you you are loved by God even in the midst of this trial even in the midst of this difficulty, you are loved by God. Don't think that's not the case. Every good and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God gives good gifts to his children. God loves to give good gifts to his children. And there are times when we go, okay, yeah, that's I believe that's true, but I don't feel like I'm getting good gifts right now. Kind of feels like I got the rock. Like God was handing out all the good gifts and I got a rock. It kind of seems like I asked for some good gifts and he gave me a snake. I didn't want a snake. God, God doesn't give out rocks and snakes. God gives out good gifts. Sometimes God gives out great gifts of blessing and and material blessing where we can enjoy that we are his children and we can rejoice in the good things that he has given to us. And sometimes God gives us difficult circumstances. And we find ourselves in poverty or we find ourselves in pain or we find ourselves having difficult times in relationships around us. Or we find ourselves lacking. And those are good gifts. We can, should consider it joy. We, we, we should get, uh, feel joy when we get those kinds of gifts from God because we know that these are the kinds of gifts that pour out spiritual blessing. Those are the kinds of gifts that result in a steadfast faith. These are the opportunities that we have to depend on him. Not the stuff that he gives us, but really just on him. God, thank you. Thank you that you took everything else away and so I just have you and I'm not distracted by all the other things. God, thank you that while they are insulting me and it seems that my friends are all abandoning me, you are faithful and you are loyal and you love me. God gives good gifts to his kids. And when we feel like we've gotten the short end of the stick, that God has been withholding something from us and not giving us a good gift, it is because we are not seeing things from the way that God sees them. We're not seeing the blessing of these gifts that come down from the Father of lights, the one who loves us so much the one with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. Never. Is that more wonderful news than when we know that God wants what is good for us all the time? That God is never tempted to sin and never tempts anyone, and that will never ever change God loves you and he will never change we may change we, we may pursue one thing and, and say okay we love God uh, but not today oh I'm faithful except when I got asked about it and then I just kind of hedged Went mute for a little bit there. Most of the time wanting God's glory, but sometimes when I'm offended, I want my own glory too. Not God. He never changes. He's never tempted to sin. He never, ever sins. And of His own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That same language again, right? Those those trials that that conceive faith, uh, giving birth to steadfastness that grow up into maturity and completeness. Or those same trials that... uh, conceive of a desire and a temptation that gives birth to sin that grows up into death but God's desire is to bring us forth by the word of truth that faith that's conceived in us through the coming of the word of truth of God that we might be born again into a new kind of life, a new spiritual kind of life that never results in death. That's God's desire. That's God's will for you. That the word of truth would, would uh, give birth to faith in you, and you would have a new kind of a life a new spiritual life that begins right now. And that happens because Jesus, in our same situation, was not tempted to sin. During the trials, during the the, the testing of his faith, not once did he ever shift. Not once did he say, you know what God, I'm hungry. And so, Father, while I love you, I'm really hungry right now and I'm going to eat even though it won't glorify you. Not once did he say, you know, God, I, I, God, Father, I, I, I know it would glorify you to, to complete the mission that you've given to me, but I'm going to just short-circuit that and I'm just going to bow to the devil for a moment and we'll accomplish this a different way. I'll be glorified either way. Not one time did he go, Father, this sounds really hard and like it's going to be really painful, and so I'm not going to follow through. Instead, at every test, at every trial, he was faithful and without sin. At every moment, he never varied from pursuing the glory of God and the end of reconciling us with Him. And nevertheless, He got death. So that we, who had those desires of sin that gave birth to sin, that should have grown up into death, can instead receive the life of Jesus because He has taken the death that we deserved. so that now we can be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Because we know that in the end, God is going to remake a new creation. Everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to be glorified. Sin and death are going to be done away with. And God will be glorified perfectly. There will not be a need for sun or moon or stars because Jesus will be the light. And we will live in perfect harmony with Him, glorifying Him for all of eternity. And already He has given us birth into a new life. That new life. We are already the first fruits of that new creation. You've already been recreated. You are already a new creation in Christ. We're not experiencing the totality of that yet. It hasn't all come to reality yet, but we are the first fruits of it. We are already experiencing that so that whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the trials or the temptations or the difficulties or the challenges might be, whatever the pain might be, we recognize that already we are participating in a new spiritual life with Christ. And one day it will all be remade, but we are partaking in it already right now. Which is awesome. So, the encouragement from James this morning is that when you reach those trials, when you reach that pain, and when you reach that difficulty, consider it all joy. Because we know what this means. It's producing that steadfastness that's resulting in that maturity and perfection that we don't think will ever really come, right? The reality of that hasn't sunk in yet, but it's coming. And we are experiencing it right now. And the alternative, the alternative is that we give in to the temptation to sin. And it's going to lead to death every single time. So my prayer for you today is that you might rejoice in all of the trials Because our God who does not change only gives us good gifts that bear spiritual, eternal fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, have loved us from before the beginning of time. That you have loved us as your children and called us to yourself. That you have given your son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might become your children. Father, when we believe the lies that you don't love us because of the things that are going on around us. When we are tempted to sin because of the Uh, our uh, desire for our own glory or honor. Would you help us to remember your love, your unchanging, faithful, steadfast love. Father, I pray for those here today that the Holy Spirit would be at work in them that they too might display a steadfast, faithful love for you. Father, renew our minds and our spirits day by day as we look forward to an eternal glory with you. And may we rejoice now in part for the way that it is already working its way into this world And may the good news, the the word of truth, be spread in this place for the sake of the growth of the kingdom and the glory of your name, now and forevermore. Amen.